kind of how we came to this, we, we went through the book of Titus uh, a little ways back. Now we're going through First and Second Timothy. And, and really what we're doing is just kind of unpacking the things that Paul is saying to the pastor, Timothy, uh, at the church in Ephesus. And, and I don't know if, if you ever do this, but, but sometimes it, it, it's easy for us uh, w- because in our Bibles, uh, we have chapter and verse. You guys have noticed that, right? That the chapters are the big numbers, the verses are the little ones. I know, huh? So, so sometimes if we're not careful, um, because uh, our Bible is, is arranged that way, we forget that like the, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. And so we'll kind of separate that a, a little bit in our minds when really the intention is for it to flow uh, as a letter. So I'm saying that to say this, uh, the last couple of weeks we have spent uh, in chapter 2, uh, about halfway through um, to, to the end, and, and in there Paul is really, the, the reason that he wrote those, I don't know if you ever do that sometimes, you, you get to a place and you read and you're like, well, what is Paul writing that for? If you ever get to that place, look and see what's around uh, that passage, because usually it's tied in to what's there. Sometimes Paul has a thought and he just throws it in for fun, just to keep us guessing, but most of the time it, it flows, and so chapter two lays the foundation for chapter three. In chapter two, Paul has really given us this idea of authority, laying the foundation for God's design and authority. And we won't tackle that again because that was that was a touchy two weeks uh, as we handled that. Uh, if you if this is like your first time um, looking at this, just look back at chapter two. You'll see what I'm talking about. Um, but but we, we want to be true to Scripture. We want to be faithful to God's Word. And so we talked about God's design for that. The reason that Paul writes that in chapter 2, he's laying the foundation for chapter 3. In chapter 3, Paul gets to what we would call, uh, as Baptists and most churches would, um, would call the offices of the church. Or, you know, not, not our bylaw kind of officers, but, but the two ordained positions uh, in the church. And so Paul begins, as he's writing to Timothy, what he's really, really trying to do is he's helping Timothy understand who this kind of guy, we're, we're going to talk about the elder first, um, uh, about who this kind of guy is. Now, now, I said elder. If you're looking at the beginning, uh, then, then you're, you notice that Paul says overseer. So, so the first thing you need to know is that in Scripture, I, I know that denominationally, um, you know, as we, we talk with people in different denominations, people use these differently. In Scripture, though, you need to understand that overseer, elder, pastor, always the same guy. It, you know, let me say that again. So, overseer, elder, pastor, always the same guy in the New Testament. Occasionally, they'll talk about elders of a synagogue. In that, that context, it's a little bit different. But, but in the church, it's always the same guy. And we're going to get into this a little bit next week. This is another two-part message. Uh, today, we're going we're to kind of unpack what Paul tells Timothy uh, are the qualifications for this guy, this elder. Next week, uh, we'll talk about the duties or the responsibility uh, for this guy. So Paul begins to unpack that. Um, and and it, it's funny, I, I, I love... Um, one of the neat things about being in, in a small community is we, we, we do things together with, uh, we're a little bit ecumenical, we do things together with the other uh, churches in the community. We have baccalaureate service, 
We have our uh, Thanksgiving service together, our Easter sunrise service together. And so I love picking, picking these guys' brains, finding out, because different polity, that's their church government, their form of church government, people do things differently. And, and now even in Baptist churches, um, I, I will talk, because this is, this is a big deal for me being a pastor guy, um, uh, how, how do you do things? We want to be faithful to Scripture. We want to do things well. And so uh, we, we get to that place, and, and in, in Baptist churches even, I've talked to some of my brothers, and, and they have pastors and elders. And, and so, you know, my question always is, why do you call them different things? And then I've met guys that say, I'm an elder in our church, and I say, really? So you're a pastor. When did God call you to be a pastor? Oh, no, 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 I'm not a pastor. I'm an elder. And I say, well... Uh, same guy. Um, yeah. So so, anyways, just so you know, so that we're all working out of the, the same uh, vocabulary and dictionary, uh, elder, pastor, overseer, when I'm using them in this context, same guy. Um, and I'll use them pretty well interchangeably. Next week we'll unpack uh, some of those and, and really kind of find out why they call them different things at different times. Uh, just, a, just a little uh, note, just for fun. If I haven't messed you up already, this will get you thinking. The Bible never calls this guy pastor. That, that's not like a title. He doesn't get the title pastor. He's called to pastor. That's the same word for shepherd uh, in, in the Greek. So he's called to shepherd. Uh, elders are called to shepherd the flock of God. So I just thought to throw that in there. And, and, and I wish I had done uh, a little bit of church history. Uh, they didn't cover this in ours for, for terminology. When did we start calling this guy a pastor? Uh, another fun story, uh, just, just for your enjoyment. Um, we, we had two little guys, two, they're, they're twins, uh, little boys, and um, uh, they, they go to the Catholic church, but you know, we, we were helping their, their family, and so we got to hang around them quite a bit, and we babysat them a lot. It took me about a month, I think, to kind of figure this out. I was doing something with them one day, and, and, and the kids called me Pastor Larry, and, and we were going along, and, and they said that, and, and I'm like, hang on just a minute. What'd you say? And, and poor kid looked like he was in trouble. I don't remember if it was Mike or Nick because that I mentioned they're twins. Um, and if they cut their hair the same way, I can't tell them apart. I said, what did, what did you say? And he said, Master Larry. And I said, as much as... I like the way that sounds. <laughs> it's Pastor Larry. But churches, different denominations call them differently. But So we know what we're talking about here. For me, it's the same guy. And Scripture, same guy. So, so Paul, Paul's writing to Timothy. And Paul is, is really kind of helping him. He had told Titus that he left Titus in Crete to appoint elders in, in every city. And so Paul is, is writing to Timothy. Remember, he's giving him instructions as a pastor for this church. And Paul begins, and really what I want us to do today is just kind of unpack the qualifications. And in your notes, in your bulletin, there aren't too many fill-in-the-blanks for a couple of reasons. One is I just wanted you to see this list as it's listed out. We listed, I did for you, the way Paul writes in Timothy and then in Titus. But the other thing is I didn't want you to have to try to write and fill all those in. I wanted you to see. So let's just read. This is 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, beginning in verse 1. Here's what Paul writes. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. That's just smart, by the way. Um, Sober-minded, 
self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for, the, for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be, be... Let me slow down. He may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So did you guys get that? Did you write those down really fast? You didn't have to because I did for you. So let's kind of go back and we'll kind of look at these as Paul writes to Timothy. He says, first of all, the husband of one wife. And we're like, well, yeah. Um, who could handle more than one is what I'm thinking. Um, here's the thing. In, in Baptist life, we, we've taken this a, a particular way. Uh, and, and I, I don't want to mess you up, but I want to be faithful to Scripture. Um, in, in Baptist life, we have always said this means not divorced. That, that's, I've heard that a lot. I didn't come to faith uh, in Christ until I was 15, but since then I, I, I've heard those things. So, so don't, don't check out. Um, I'm going to come back to this, but let, let me, let, let's go to see what it says. There is a way in the Greek to say not divorced. Now, now don't check out with me because I'm going to come back to this. That's not what this says. This simply says the husband of one wife. So, if you take this to mean that this guy, uh, if you want to, if you take it literally, um, then here's here's where you have to go. First of all, you have to say that the pastor must be married, right? Because it says husband of one wife. From personal experience, I'm saying that is a really good idea for your pastor to have a wife. I'm saying it's a better idea for him only to have one. <laughs> now, that's what it's saying. Uh, really, the kind of the idea behind this is a one-woman kind of man. That, that's the idea. So the husband of one wife, we know in, in that days there, there were people who had multiple. And, and, and I love my in-laws. Uh, they are the only parents I have. Mine passed away when I was younger. They're the only parents I have. But guys, David had 300 wives. He also had 300 mothers-in-law. <laughs> Husband of one wife, good idea. Really, the idea is a one-woman kind of man. Now, we know guys who've never been married to anyone else. They've always only ever had one wife. But they weren't really a one-woman kind of man. That, that's the idea, that, that his heart romantically is for his wife only. That, that, that's the, the gist of what he's saying here. Um, don't. We're coming back to the divorce thing in just a minute. Just hang, hang on with me. Um, Sober-minded, that is, he's a clear-headed thinker. Um, Self-controlled, obviously. Uh, he didn't fly off of the handle. That, that he's, he's disciplined, it actually says uh, in, in uh, yeah, discipline, it says in, in Titus. Um, he's respectable, that is, that he's respected. Um, that... He's, a, I mean, hospitable. That's fun to say because you get to say spit. It's hospitable. The, the idea behind this is it doesn't mean you have to have people over your house a whole lot, although that helps a lot too. But this is a people guy, that this guy loves people, that, that when you're in this guy's presence, that you feel welcomed. Um, I, I've, I've seen pastors, I've served with 
a pastor that wasn't really a people guy. I don't know how that works. It doesn't seem to work well. If you don't love people, you probably ought not be a shepherd, right? That's just like saying, if you don't love sheep, don't be a shepherd. So, so this is a guy, that, the idea behind hospitable is he loves people, and that comes through, that, that he makes people feel welcome. Um, able to teach, obviously, because that's part of the, the, the pastor um, preacher, teacher kind of thing that he teaches. That, that's a good part of what he does. He's not a drunkard. Um, now, here's another thing, too. I'm probably not your typical Baptist guy, but, but um, uh, again, don't, don't check out because we'll, we'll finish this out. This is not saying that he can't drink alcohol. That, that's, I know, it got real quiet. That's not what it's saying. Um, in fact, you can't really make Scripture say, don't drink. Now, now, really quickly, before some of you check out on me, um, I think it's a really good idea not to. Now, it's huge. The Bible's very, very clear not to be drunk. If you're known as a drinker, that's a bad thing. I, I heard one pastor uh, c- kind of put it like this, um, a-, a couple of things. One is, uh, he said, if like three or four people tell you you have a drinking problem, you have a drinking problem, <laughs> Right? Um, he also uh, talked about that, that in his years and years and years of ministry and all the counseling that he did throughout the course of his ministry, that, that he's never had these kinds of conversations. For example, he's never had a, a couple come to him and say, you know what, we were really struggling in our marriage, and then we started drinking, and things just got better. Um, He's never had someone come to him and say, you know what, man, I was, I was really struggling at work on being on time and, and doing a good job. And then I started drinking and things just kind of started going well. He said, I've never had those conversations. I've had lots the other way. Um, I don't drink. This, this is not an issue for me, but I don't drink for a, a few reasons. One is alcoholism runs in my family. Um, so... I mean, it's just foolish. That would be really foolish for me to do. The other thing is, um, I, would, I don't have to, to to drink. It's easy not to. And, and I don't want to hurt my witness, either as a believer individually or certainly a, as a pastor. And if I ever did, sure enough, I would trip on the, wind, on the, on the threshold walking out, and you would think I had too much to drink. So we, we just don't, we don't do that. We don't go there. For this pastor guy, certainly, he can't be known for that. Um, not violent. That's a good thing, probably. Um, uh, in, in fact, he says not violent, but gentle. That, that, that he, if you think of, of a shepherd for his sheep, that's the kind of heart that this guy needs to have for the people in his church. That, that, he's, that he's gentle, he's not harsh, he's not violent. He's, he doesn't just kind of go uh, nuts. Um, not quarrelsome. Um, he, he's not known for stirring up stuff and, and, and causing controversies and, and, and stuff. Doesn't mean he doesn't challenge you. It's just that he doesn't stir up those things. Not a lover of money, which is a good thing because generally speaking, pastors aren't like at the top of the pay scale. But that's not a heart issue. Um, people can have heart issues when they have a lot of money and people can have heart issues with money when they don't have very much. What he's saying is money's not a thing for this guy. That's not what motivates him. That's not what drives him. And now Paul, if he hadn't stepped on any toes yet, he probably does here, manages his household well. And that's a hard one. 
And, and we think of in our culture, um, I, I don't know if it's American or if it's just the world um, speaking in, into it, but, but in, our, in our culture, this kind of, this is really different because what Paul is talking about here, because the very next one is keeping his children submissive, what Paul's talking about here is that God said amen. I said, <laughs> is, is that this guy, that he pastors his family well. So, so he, he manages his household well. I love the way that Paul puts it. How can you manage God's church if he can't manage his own? And, and, and I know this flies in the face of our culture because we say, and I hear parents say this, and it just hurts my heart when I do. Well, you can't tell your kids what to do. The Bible says you better, right? You can't make your kids follow Jesus, and, and yeah, you can't in a way, and yet we are called specifically to lead our children to follow Jesus. Deuteronomy 6, of course, that doesn't mention Jesus because it's before the cross, but that we are to disciple our children, that we're to lead our children to follow the Lord. And then Ephesians 6, um, this side of the cross, really, that we're to bring them up in instruction and discipline of the Lord. That That is, and Paul goes on a, a little bit harsher, in, or not harsher, but a little stricter in, in Titus. Our children need to follow the Lord. And, and that sounds so weird in our culture because we, I talk to parents and I say, you know, I just want to just present it and let them choose. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. Would you do that? Would you take them to a rattlesnake pit and let them choose whether they want to hop in? There's one down at the end of the hill, by the way, if you, um, you first, not me. We don't do that. And, and this one's a hard one. Um, but what it's saying is that this guy's family needs to follow the Lord. He says, not a recent convert. That one should be a no-brainer, but obviously not if Paul had to write it. Now, you remember, this is the early church, so uh, things are, are moving at a little bit different pace, but he, he doesn't need to be a, a brand-new Christian. The other one's a little bit harder, too. Well thought of by outsiders. Now, what, what's an outsider? We, we've all felt like outsiders at times. Outsiders means people outside the church. That, that is, that this guy who's going to be your pastor, your elder, in this sense, Paul calls him the overseer, uh, bishop is another word for that, is that this guy has to have, he has to be well thought of by non-Christians. That, that, that means a couple of things to me. He has to be known by non-Christians, he can't be in his little bubble, but that his life, because listen, we can all pretend for a while, can't we? Um, some of us get involved in those melodramas that we do here in town, and you can act for an hour. Some of us can act for a day or two or three or a week or so, but sooner or later, people are going to see how you really are. And, and it's more than likely the people who are out in the community, the ones that, that cut in front of you at Walmart, they don't know they're cutting in front of you, but that was my spot. That's the way we get. Um, they're the ones who see. And listen, this, this is your toy that comes with the Happy Meal. Um, when you leave from church and you go to a restaurant to eat, 
you need to be the best Jesus they see that day. I, I get to talk to the servers all the time, and it, it hurts when they talk about the church groups. They're demanding, they're picky, and they don't tip. You guys be loving and kind and gracious and tip big. Some of you saying, well, that means I can't, I can't order as much. If you're like me, that's probably okay too. Um, but you be well thought of, well respected by outsiders. Now, the list in Timothy, we'll, we'll hit this pretty quickly, is pretty similar. It, it change, says a little bit different wording in a couple of places. Um, but he says, above reproach. And, and, and those last two, um, I'll tie together for you, that you're well thought of by outsiders and that you're above reproach. Going back to the husband of one wife thing. Here, here's the deal. I would say, and, and, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that we, what we do in Scripture is discover the principle and then make application, and we do that even as a church. I would say, I, I, am, I am fine with, and we, we pretty well do this here, fine with saying the pastor doesn't need to be divorced. Now, you can't make that Scripture say that, but when you get to the well-thought-of, well-respected, that he's above reproach, to me, I think that covers that. I, I think we're safe when we draw the line here and say our pastor doesn't need to be divorced. Now, I don't know. In 15, 20 years, it might be harder and harder and harder to find pastors. That's up to God, not me. But, but here's why I say that. Because when there is a divorce, there is opportunity for uh, what he says at the end of this verse. Um, uh, he says, for those, no, that's a different one. He says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. We don't want to, in order to live above reproach, that means we don't want to give stuff to people uh, that, that's, gonna, that's really going to invalidate uh, the message that, that the pastor has to bring. So I think we're safe there. We, again, we might get to heaven, uh, just like we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We might get to heaven, and God may say, you didn't have to go that far. And, and, and our response will be, we knew we were safe there. We, we knew that that was a good application uh, of the principle of being above reproach uh, that you gave us. The husband of one wife, again, that's just like smart. Um, I, in fact, I think it's, I can't imagine being a pastor without being married. I mean, I, I can't imagine that. I don't think that would work. Um, uh, maybe it does for some guys. I, don't, I know the Apostle Paul, but I'm not him. Um, and then, then this next one is hard. Here's the way Paul fleshes out what he told uh, Timothy to Titus. He said, children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. That's hard, isn't it? Have you I just like saying the word debauchery because it's fun. But um, have your kids ever been insubordinate to you? I'll come back to that in just a moment. Not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard again, not violent, not greedy for gain. That means not lovers of money. Hospitable, lovers of good, self-controlled, upright, holy discipline. Hold firm to the trustworthy word. I capitalize that. It's not capitalized in my Bible, but it's referring to God's word. Um, able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and able to 
rebuke those who contradict it. Here's the deal. As we read through these, and you guys have that list in front of you, you look at that, does that mean that a pastor has to be perfect? If your answer is yes, then Jesus needs to come back really fast because he's the only one who can do that. Um, some of you guys know me well enough and other, others of you can extrapolate just from life. I am not perfect. There is no perfect pastor. Not going to happen. What it means is that this is the way this guy has to be known. He has to be known to be a one-woman kind of man. Does that mean that, that he, he like has blinders on his eyes, that he never, never um, there's some slips that you can't come back from, but, but that he never looks? Uh, does that mean that he doesn't, he, he doesn't have to guard his heart and mind? Not at all. It means that he's known for being a one-woman kind of man, that he's sober-minded. He's known for being a clear thinker. Does that mean that he never makes it? I'll go ahead and say that we never said the S word uh, in, in our house, stupid. Um, does that mean that he never makes a stupid mistake? Not at all. But if he's known for making stupid mistakes, then he's, he can't be your pastor. He's known for being sober-minded. He's known for being self-controlled. He's known as a respectable guy. Not that he doesn't lose his temper, but he's, he's not known for losing his temper. That, that, that he's, he's not known for being violent, but he's known for being a gentle guy. That, not that he never argues, man. I, I'll, I'll just tell you up front, that's one that I, I struggle with. Um, my dad and I were so much like, I didn't realize it at the time, probably would have never admitted it, um, but we butted heads a whole lot. And, and my dad was never wrong. Well, he, in his mind, he was never wrong. And, and he never admitted to me that he was wrong. Now, now, see, I'm really different than my dad. I'll admit when I'm wrong. You just got to prove it to me first. You see where that might have been a clash. Doesn't mean that they don't argue. It just means that they're not known for that. Um, they're not known for being a lover of money. Who, who doesn't, you know, money is one of those things like time you never have enough of and you don't know where it went. Um, he's known for managing his household well. That doesn't mean that his wife is perfect and his kids are perfect, but, but as, as a rule, his family follows the Lord. Keeping his children submissive, this is one that um, pastors kids. I, I, I was 15 when I came to know the Lord. And, and immediately in a church, you start hearing about these pastor's kids. And pastor's kids were known for being the worst kids in the church. Listen, that ought not be. They're not perfect, we know. <laughs> um, but but, but I, I hate that stigma. For, for a long time, now I've got to say this, I'm going to say this twice. This is a joke, okay? I'm joking but, but I started teasing a long time ago that, you know why pastor's kids are so rowdy? They spend a lot of time with the deacon's kids. That's why. I'll say it again. This is a joke. That's kidding. But, but listen, brothers and sisters, the pastor's kids ought to be known for following the Lord. We know that they're going to do some of the same dumb things we did. We know they're going to go through times of rebellion. 
we know, I only have daughters, I don't know how this looks with boys, but we know they're going to roll their eyes, you know, times at you. Um, but that's not what they're known for. What they're known for is being followers of Jesus. Um, oh, he, he goes all the way through here. We, here's the deal. Because the requirements of the pastor are so high, we need to pray for him. Can, can you imagine? Stick, stick that in, in your, your Bible and every day open it up and look and think, man, that's what i got to be today. We really should be anyways. Um, this is just a godly person. <laughs> um, man, these are, this is just a godly guy except for the able to teach and, and the call thing. But, but, but knowing that everybody's going to look at you and they got that list that's been published. <laughs> Pray for your pastor. He's not perfect. In fact, there are no perfect pastors. They're only prayed for pastors. I, I believe one of the huge differences and unfortunately the media really latches on to this kind of thing and it, it really gives... Uh, the gospel, um, a bad name. Christian's a bad name, at least. You know, we see time after time after time these these guys, whether they're pastors or unfortunately even high in denominational offices, who fall. I, I really believe that one of the huge factors in there is whether they have people praying for them or not. Because there's no perfect pastor. It didn't take you guys like two days to figure that out with me. But there are prayed for pastors. And, and here's what I would ask you to pray. Uh, first of all, pray for your pastor each day. Now I know some of you, some of you uh, go to church here. And in that case I'm talking about me. Um, some of you uh, go to churches somewhere else and and. And I'm asking you to pray for your pastor every day. Commit to doing that. Let me give you some things that you can pray for. Pray for strength. Um, there's a reason Paul says don't grow weary in doing good. Because sometimes we grow weary. Um, sometimes we just get tired. Sometimes we, we need to know when to run. When to flee temptation. Pray for strength. Pray for, for boldness. Listen, it is going to be, I believe, I'm not a prophet, so don't throw rocks at me if I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I believe that it's going to be harder and harder and harder for pastors to stand in the pulpit and to preach this word without repercussions from the world. I, I just believe it. I, I, I believe, again, I'm not a prophet. Don't throw rocks at me if I'm wrong. That's okay. I believe God's given us a period of grace where, where that's not the case, but I don't think that's going to be that way forever. We need, to, we need to pray for boldness. You need to pray for boldness for your pastor that he can preach God's word in love, but preach God's word as it is. But also boldness as a shepherd in, in caring for the flock that, that when, when someone starts to drift off into sin, I don't mean any egregious, any, any huge sin, but, but when someone starts to drift off boldness, that we can go and put our arm around them and bring them back and say, hey, look, you're messing up. 
come back. Um, I, I get to talk with teenagers a whole lot, and we, we kind of talk about this in, in one realm in friendships. Um, and, and we talk about what do you risk in a friendship when you go and tell the person, when you try to bring them back? What do you risk? And, and you know, they, they, they talk about a whole lot, you know, that, that they just quit being your friend. That, that would be unfortunate. Some, that they get nasty and ugly, and they go around spreading rumors, you know, and all this, this middle school, high school drama, you know, that comes. And unfortunately, that goes right into adulthood, doesn't it? But pray for boldness that your pastor will, will do what he needs to do in love. Pray for guidance. Not just in, in the big things. We're, we're going to be entering into a, a building um, program before too long. Not just in those big things. Pray for guidance in the daily things. Satan's not stupid. If he can't trip you up in the big things, because that's usually where we have our guard, he's going to trip us up in the little things. Pray for guidance on, on what changes to make, if that's the case, or how to make those changes, when to slow down, when to speed up, when to go on, when, for, for me, when to keep my mouth shut, when I need to open it. Pray for guidance. Pray for protection. I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't, try to over-spiritualize things a whole lot, but, but I do need to remind you, and I need to be reminded often, that we are in a spiritual war. You know that? Sometimes we don't feel like we're at war, but we are in a spiritual war. And our enemy never sleeps. Our enemy is very intelligent. He's very cunning. He's very sneaky. He's been around a long time, and he knows what works with people. And, and, and it's, not, it's not usually the, the big frontal attacks that happen. Let me, let me tell you, and I, I hate to try to speak for all pastors, but just from my experience and ones that I've talked with, Satan attacks with discouragement. Satan attacks with frustration. Sometimes he attacks in our anger. I, I wouldn't say as I'm driving down the road in my truck and have a flat tire, that actually happened on, on 70 I'm driving 75 miles an hour. If you've never had a, a, a front blowout and a front tire at 75 miles an hour in an F-250, you don't know what scared is. <laughs> um, and I, wouldn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't get this picture in my mind of a little demon out there poking my tire, but I don't think that's where the attack came from, but it sure came afterwards. <laughs> Great. I don't have time for this. Now I'm going to have to buy a new tire. And actually I started looking at my tires and had to buy four new tires. And, and it was hot. You know, it, was, it was almost the Las Cruces. Nobody stopped to help me. I, when I got the truck, I didn't look to see where all the spare and stuff was. You know, so I'm trying to figure all that out. And then these, tire, these cars flying by at 75. You, you can see all. Pray for protection. Not that my, You can pray that my tires don't blow out, but. Just pray for protection against the attacks of the enemy. For pastors, it's going to be discouragement. Sometimes despair. Um, sometimes loneliness. Um, sometimes fear. Lord, if I, if I do that, it's going to cost me. Um, it might cost me a friend. It might cost me a few friends. I had a pastor that told me uh, right before I came here, you can't be friends with the people that you pastor. And I said, I just don't know any other way. <laughs> I don't know any other way. 
So when, when somebody in the church gets mad and leaves, you lost a friend. Sometimes you lost a friend of 10 or 12 years if you've been here for a while. Pray for protection. But, but listen, it's not, only, it's not only your pastor that's in this. I'm not in this alone. Cynthia is the only one who, who knew as much as we could know what she was getting into uh, whenever we, we met in college. One of the first things I told her is, God called me into the ministry. Um, she married me anyways. My, my kids were born into it, but pray, pray for my wife. Pray for my kids. Listen, how would you like to know that the whole church is looking to see whether you're insubordinate or not or you're, you're being debaucherous? I don't know if that's a word. Just made that up. And, and here's how it works. Satan, when Satan knows, but, but, because I'm expecting it as, as I go along. When Satan can't get to me, guess where he goes to get to me? He goes to my family. And, and some of you may have experienced this. Uh, Sunday morning, we're getting ready for church. This ought to be, we're getting ready for a celebration. We should be it's hard to do that every week, I guess, but we should be at least ex- excited uh, to come and celebrate our Lord Jesus on Sunday mornings as we would any football game, even the Super Bowls, even if the Cowboys make it to the Super Bowl again. And yet, here's what happens. Y'all must not like the Cowboys. I don't know. Anyways, some of the worst family fights, I think, happen getting ready for church or on the way to church. We have, I almost hate to say it out loud, we have four puppy dogs. Before you, you freak out about that, three of them make up a quarter of the other one. So they're all about that tall, three of them are. And, and sometimes you just want to look at the dogs and go, are you possessed? <laughs> Stay out of the trash. You know, you make your waffle or whatever it is. You sit down, you turn around and get your milk and your waffle's gone. The dog's over in the corner. And the fights that happen, you know. Pray for your pastor, but also pray for his wife. Pray for his children. While I'm on it, do me a favor. <laughs> um, in, in praying for me. Um, one of the hardest things I think as, as pastors is the unknown. Don't come up to me and say, people are saying. I'm going to say, who? And if you say, I promised I can't tell, I'm going to as lovingly as I can say, then don't tell me about it. We, oh, we've, we've got this problem. I promised I wouldn't say who told me. Don't tell me. You take care of it then. Don't do that to me. Um. You know, people are saying, or people are talking, or somebody got offended, or don't do that to your pastor. Pray, but, but you can be a part of the solution uh, as well. Don't make comments about his wife or kids. I, I heard one pastor, and, and they've got a few kids, and, and I don't know, kids sometimes, they just don't like having their shoes on. That's weird for me because I can't, I have slippers at home. I took flip-flops on when I went to camp because I don't want to walk around barefoot on the floor. And I want people to laugh at me for wearing slippers. But um, 
one of the pastor's kids had taken their shoes off and they're running around the church barefoot and the wife overheard some of this didn't happen here but the wife overheard someone say can't they even keep their shoes on their kids now listen that's not like a huge thing but that went straight to the heart of this pastor's wife and satan used that to tear her up for a week don't do that if you hear somebody do that you can't slap on that's not being like jesus but you can you can lovingly <laughs> tell him not to do that. Satan attacks. When he can't get in the front door, he'll look for a window. He'll look for a side door. So th- th- this may be one of those easier messages for you. You don't have to come down and confess all your sin and repent in front of the church. Just three. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I want to challenge you. And, and, and this feels really self-serving, but I know a lot of you don't, uh, you're, you're here visiting and, and, and your home pastor is somewhere else. So for his sake, would you commit to praying for your pastor and his family every day? Would you do that? Pray for their protection. Pray that God would, would, would give guidance to your pastor. Um, listen, pastors aren't perfect and they can make some really stupid decisions. <laughs> Pray that God will keep them from those. Pray that God will surround them. Pray that God would raise up leadership in your church that, that, that your pastor can, you know, there's, there's wisdom in the counsel of many, that, that your pastor has all these godly people around him that, that he can get more ideas than just come to him. Pray for for his wife and for his kids. Um, Pray against, and I don't hyper-spiritualize things, but pray against the enemy. Um, Pray that that Satan wouldn't be able to use fear and doubt and discouragement and despair and loneliness and all those things that pastors tend to deal with. Pray that he couldn't use those. And then I'll give you guys one more challenge than I gave the early service. Are you ready? Pray that God would use you in the life and ministry of your church and an encouragement of your pastor. Again, this this feels really self-serving, but I know some of you don't go here, so for your pastor's sake, pray that God would raise up uh, people who just encourage. But would you commit to daily praying for your pastor and for his family? Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that we don't have to come up with stuff as pastors. All we need to do is proclaim what you say. God, help us to be faithful in that as pastors. Lord, I pray that, that you'd help us to pastor our families well. That we'd love our wife like we love no other person. That we would disciple our kids better than we disciple anybody else. And, and God, I just pray that, Lord, you would raise up our churches to, to lift pastors up in prayer. That, 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 that they would bathe the message in prayer. They would bathe the worship time in prayer. They would bathe the children's ministry in prayer. That they would bathe student ministry and the adult ministries and single adult ministries. And God, I just pray that, that Lord, you would so cover this place 
with your spirit because of the prayers of your people. God, that you would just make breakthrough after breakthrough in lives, that people's lives would be changed, they would come to faith in Christ. And God, that this would be a gospel light for this community. Lord, I pray that you would so move and work among us that the people in this community would look at this this body of believers and say, now that is what I think Jesus looked like. And Lord, not for our benefit, not for our honor, not for our glory, but for yours and for the sake of Christ. For it's in his name we pray, amen.